Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. I hope you guys had an awesome retreat. I was in and out a little bit, and it certainly looked like you guys were having a great weekend. Um, hey, you know, can, can I interrupt you? <laughs> no. No, you may not. No, I don't interrupt you, so. That is a lie. We have a surprise for you today. You already know about it because we surprised you big time in the first service book. Yeah. Uh, I want to introduce Bob Buzman, Chairman of Personnel, to hijack the service just for a minute. All right. One minute. Did you really call Blake a brat earlier for for this? I may have. He was for real mad, yes. <laughs> you gotten over it? You know how I love sac- uh, surprises, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, while I say a few things, Amy, where's, where's Amy Dive? Amy, if you can come on up. Where are you, Amy? Don't be shy. Where's your bride? She's coming. All She's right, right there over there. She is. You know, 20 years has uh, brought a lot of change in life. Uh, yesterday, a lot of remembrance about 9-11, um, just a lot of constant change. The one place we haven't had change is in the pulpit. This marks, this marks 20 years and two months that uh, Bill and Amy and the boys have been with us at North Monroe. And we're going to, uh, oh, there you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what a great looking family, huh? I think we've got some uh, statistics we can throw up on the screen. That's a little bit of the change we've had. Pretty remarkable, isn't it? But statistics. And a new worship center, don't begin to tell the story of what uh, Bill has meant to this church, this community, and to each of us. And so we're going to have a video. It's going to take us down memory lane for a few few minutes, and so pay attention. Hey, Bill and Amy, happy 20th anniversary. Goodness gracious, I'm so proud of you. I'd love to take you to Waffle House, get the all-American breakfast, just splurge. You know what I'm saying? Hey. Don't rule them out. Open 24-7. Y'all can go late tonight if you want to, just to cap it all off. Know that Laurie and I, we love you. Our family loves you. Bill, you'll always be my friend and always be my pastor. God bless you, buddy. 20 years, 20 years of serving God's people, and you have done it with a smile on your face. Man, it has been uh, an absolute honor and pleasure uh, to be uh, connected to you and to be a beneficiary of your ministry. Uh, 20 years and leading God's people is not for the faint of heart. You didn't do it alone. You had a help in Amy uh, as well, and so we salute you too, Miss Amy. 20 years of serving God's people uh, faithfully and well. I love you, man. Hope you have a great day. I'm going to call you later. North Row. love on your pastor. You got a good one. Peace. Hey, Bill and Amy. Happy anniversary. Some 40 years ago, I had just graduated high school. We just got a brand new student and college minister at our church, and I wanted to 
So introduced myself and visit with him. Went into his office and right there next to the chair was a volleyball and I was sitting there playing with the volleyball and it went up in the air and hit the light fixture, came down on my head um, and he had to take me to the hospital, get three stitches. That was my first meeting with Bill Dye, and he's been doing that ever since, taking care of me. So excited for you, Bill. 20 years here at North Monroe, and uh, wouldn't be the same place without you. Love you. Congratulations. Hey, Wild Bill. This is Brew. Man, congratulations on making 20 years. I can't hardly believe you did it. I remember when, a long time ago, you said you were going to get some place to make a difference, and Evidently you did. I'm proud of you, brother. I love you, man. Always have, always will. Take care. Hey, from Soto. Just kidding. Hey, from Texas, guys. We sure wish we could be there to celebrate with y'all, but we just wanted to let y'all know we love you so much. We're so proud of y'all, and we are so blessed that y'all are ours. Bill and Amy, thank you so much for being such an important part of this family. We love y'all. Hey, Bill, uh, you know us, Doug and Jeannie. Uh, we just want to say congratulations on 20 years. Man, how time flies, 20 years. Our boys were, were little puppies running around North Monroe Baptist, and we just want to say thank you to you. Uh, big, big thanks and congratulations, obviously, on 20 years. And uh, we hope you have many, many more successful years uh, to come. But congratulations on 20 years. Hey, Pastor Bill and Amy, uh, sorry we can't be here today with y'all, but just wanted to say congratulations on 20 years. Uh, and I just appreciate y'all's uh, work that you've done here at North Road. Appreciate, Bill, the way you share God's Word, the way you stay to the principles of God's Word. And thanks for being a visionary and a leader for us as a staff, for our people, and the fact that what we've got to see North Road do through your leadership. Hi, Bill and Amy. Congratulations on your service of 20 years at North Monroe. 20 years. Seems like so much longer. <laughs> Bill and Amy, congratulations on uh, 20 years of ministry at North Monroe. Uh, I'm so grateful for um, your hearts and the vision and, and the way that you lead us. And, and so grateful that I've been a part of what God has done in and through North Monroe, um, through you and because of you. And just congrats on um, just a life well lived and, and being um, just a humble vessel of God. I'm grateful that you're in my life and that we get to do ministry together. Congratulations. Uncle Bill and Aunt Amy, congratulations on 20 years at North Monroe. We love you. Hey, Amy and Brother Bill. Congratulations on serving the Lord and the people at North Monroe for 20 years. Congratulations, Pastor Bill, for 20 years of ministry at North Monroe. Man, I want to take just a few seconds and personally thank you for your investment in my life even today. Congratulations on 20 years, man. Um, I love you. I miss you. I hope you have an awesome day. Congratulations, Bill and Amy, on your 20th anniversary. I always thought that Bill Dye was the one that hit the Sunday school board at First Baptist Church in Groves. But as you can see, we recently found it hidden in the closet. And uh, although your record has been expunged, Bill, uh, please remember that I still have a picture of you and the Sunday school board. So don't rest too easy. We can still bring charges. Hey, Amy and Bill. 
Congratulations on 20 years at North Monroe. We love you guys. I was a member of First Baptist Groves in the 1980s when Bill and Amy began their ministry at that church. I have watched them remain faithful to the Lord and to His calling on their lives. I'm grateful to get to say, God bless you, Bill and Amy. Hey, Bill. Happy 20 years. Uh, we are so glad to be here and have you, and uh, you mean so much to this place and to all of us. So thank you for all that you do. Hi, everyone. My name's Matt Barnhill. I am Bill Dye's college roommate from ancient of days, way back when. And I want to first off say congratulations, Bill and Amy, on two decades of service at North Monroe Baptist Church. Uh, I want you as church members to know that I knew Bill back in the day. Matter of fact, I am the mother load of stories about things you'll never hear from him. I mean, I don't know what he says in his illustrations, sermon illustrations about the way he was back in the day, but I know the truth. No, actually, I'm totally kidding. Uh, back in the days when Bill was in his early 20s, he was an incredibly godly guy, a man of incredible integrity, and I'm not a bit surprised. 20 years. I don't think I've done anything for 20 years, but being at North Monroe isn't the only thing that you've done for 20 years. You've also shown your sons an incredible amount of love and always been there with words of wisdom or guidance in tough situations or car problems. And I love you so much, Dad. Happy 20 years. Hey, Dad, I just want to say how thankful I am just for your faithfulness to the Lord and to your family and to the church over the past 20 years. It's gone by in a flash, and I just want to let you know how much I love you, and um, I couldn't be more proud to be your son. Hey, Dad. I uh, just wanted to come on here and say how much I appreciate you uh, just for being a great dad. And I couldn't have asked for a better role model. I couldn't ask for a better uh, mentor, and you're just something special. I want to thank you for all the years that you've given me. Hey, Dad, just want to say congratulations on 20 years and that I'm so proud of you for reaching that milestone and just so thankful to have a dad like you in my life uh, that shows me love every single day. Love you. Don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. Don't leave. If y'all can have a seat, we have a few special guests we want to recognize. Uh, even though I, I sometimes uh, view Bill as, as uh, a brother by another mother, uh, his real brother is here uh, and wife, uh, Ben and Lee, if y'all would stand up. There they are in the back. And Amy, your sister, uh, Jean, and her husband, Glenn. Uh, Brown, they're here this morning. If y'all would stand. And your niece, Christy, and uh, her husband, Drew Wallace, if y'all would stand. And the boys, oh, your mom, and your mom's here as well. All right. If she would stand. 
And if I could get the boys and uh, Hallie and Courtney and the grands, if they're here, if they would all stand as well. What a remarkable uh, journey it's been, right? Uh, should be commemorating 41 years of ministry. I uh, didn't realize it was 21 before you came and uh, uh, to shepherd our church. Uh, we have a little uh, token of appreciation. Had a little problem in the early service. It was made uh, out to Warren Eckhart. Uh, <laughs> that's what you get when you ask Warren to uh, to purchase the the commemoration. True story, really. Uh, no. Congratulations, Bill. Thank you for all you've done and all you'll continue to do. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, uh, I've already fired all of the staff today, so you'll be getting a new worship leader next week. We don't know who it'll be. But uh, I tell people all the time that um, when we came here in 2001, uh, you never know when you're a pastor going to a new place. You don't know anybody. You don't know uh, where the holes are, the pitfalls. You don't know really what's going to happen. And so it's really a step of faith. But I tell people it feels like we were like a stray puppy that got adopted by a good family because we didn't know how long we'd be here. You know, in ministry, you're a vagabond. And yet, you know, we just fell in love with y'all and Hopefully you guys have been blessed too, but we've been blessed more than y'all have. And so thank you for all of that. And uh, we, we just love being here. We appreciate the opportunity to be here. Can't say it any clearer. So I don't know how I'm going to preach, but let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for what you've done on the men's retreat. As we open your word now, help us just to worship you in spirit and in truth, and in authenticity. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12, let's get our Bibles out, turn your devices on. <clears throat> this is the hinge, and I won't belabor it, I know you're tired. I've kind of got a captive, tired audience here right in front of me, so I could probably get y'all to commit to anything right now. Um, <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's the hinge. And it really sets up everything that he's going to say to follow. I came across a story of a guy named John Patton. John had always wanted to be a missionary. And he finally got his chance. He wound up in an island called Tana in the New Hebrides Islands. I vaguely knew where that was. It's outside of Australia. Um, when he arrived there in 1858, the natives of Tana were cannibals. And he arrived with his little wife, Mary, Three months after they got there, she gave birth to her son, Peter, their son, Peter. And 19 days after Mary gave birth to Peter, she died of typhus. Fifteen days after that, John buried his 36-day-old son, Peter. If you can imagine the isolation, the horrific conditions, the sadness, the questions... All of that. Here's a guy that's given his life to Christ. And now he's alone on an island of cannibals. He had to bury his family adjacent to the house. And then the first night he slept on their grave so that the cannibals wouldn't exhume and consume his wife and child. 
He spent three more years on that island under very hostile conditions until finally they had to rescue him. And they got there just in time when the natives were about to kill him. He went back home to England, remarried, and then returned to the New Hebrides Islands and spent the next 15 years there ministering. His goal was to translate the Bible out of their language into, or out of the Greek into their language. And so he had to learn their language, he had to create a language, and then he had to translate it. And he was wrestling with John one day while he was trying to translate the Bible, John chapter 1, verse 12, to this phrase in the, in the Greek that is pestuois. It means to believe in or believe into or to trust. And his problem was that these natives didn't trust anyone. They were cannibals. They trusted nobody. They believed in nothing. And they didn't even have the word trust in their language. And so he's trying to figure out, how do I translate this with a word that they don't even have? And he's sitting at his desk, a native walks in, and he says, what am I doing right now? And the native uh, says, you're sitting at your desk. So he took his feet up off the floor. He said, what am I doing now? And the native replied with a verb in their language, which means to lean your whole weight upon. And he took that word from that native language, and he translated the word believe to be to put your whole weight upon. I can't think of a better description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus than that, that you are putting your whole weight upon him. In fact, that is the essence of what it is to worship God. And that's the essence of what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is about. So let's pick it up. We're going to look at it uh, quickly and, and, and draw from it these powerful principles. He says, therefore, now, whenever we see the word therefore, what do we always ask? What is there for? Because therefore always points back. It always connects ideas. So the question is, what ideas is he connecting? And the answer is, he's connecting everything that he said in chapters 1 through 11. In chapters 1 through 11, he's talked about the mercy of God, the grace of God, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The fact that if we believe in him and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. All of that mercy talk, all of that theology of salvation that he's been pouring out for the last 11 chapters. Therefore, now we're going to transition from what we believe about God to how we live that out. Therefore, as a result of what I've said, I urge you, and that word urge is is a word uh, to encourage. It's not a command. I'm encouraging you. I'm calling you brethren. And this is a word to the church. He's talking to the believers in Christ. By the mercies of God, and that word by is actually through, it's diat, through the mercy of God. So I've been talking about the mercy of God. Now, on the basis of that mercy that we've been talking about, here's what you need to do. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. To put your full weight upon the authority and the glory of God. And notice what he calls it. It's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. Notice that he calls this worship. He says it's your spiritual service of worship. And that word that's translated spiritual, and there's some reasons they they translated it spiritual, but it's really the word which, which has at its root the word logic. It's your logical, or in some translations, your reasonable service of worship. In other words, the obvious outcome of understanding what Christ has done for us becomes what we do in response to that, and that's called logical worship. Now think about that. You see, we often consider worship to be the singing part of a Sunday service, right? Isn't that what we always say? We're going to have some worship time. Let's worship a bit before we get to the sermon part. 
But worship is the surrendered part of everyday life. In fact, the rest of chapter 12 deals with mercy and how we respond mercifully to the people in our lives. It's a reaction to the mercy of God. We then become merciful. But listen, you can't become merciful until you understand the concept of worship. Piper said it this way. He said, before he calls the Christian life merciful, he calls the Christian life worshipful. And if you get that backward, you can never be merciful. You cannot be merciful without being worshipful because worship sets the context. My response to your need, my reaction to your hurt, my response to your suffering or even your offense is directly tied to what Christ did for me on the cross. So as I understand the glory of God in my life, I then become capable of responding with the nature of Christ into your life, you see? And so he says two things about this I want to unpack for a second. The first is authentic worship is a surrendered life. He says to present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want to be clear here. Your sacrifice won't add anything to the atoning work of Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, one of the last things he said was, it is finished. And then you notice Hebrews 10 verse 12, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That's what we do when we're finished. Guys, when you finished mowing the yard, what do you do? You go sit down. You get in the easy chair, you pick up the, the uh, remote, and you sit. Maybe not at the right hand of God, but you got the remote in your right hand, right? I, I talked to a guy one time. He said he handed me the remote in his house. That, he said that remote's never been touched by a female hands. <laughs> Saw a cartoon one time. The guy was laying in the, in the, gray, in the, in the casket, and the, the, uh, the woman's looking over, and she said, doesn't he look so natural there with the remote control in his head? I mean, that's what we do when we finish the work. We sit. That's what Jesus did. So the sacrifice was complete. You're not going to add to that. So what does the sacrifice to offer myself mean? Well, there's two different directions interpreters go with this. Some view this as a part of sanctification where we die to the flesh. And they see Paul as playing off this, the distinction between body and spirit. You know, he, he, we call it the flesh or the old nature or the old man. And that, that tension that exists between the flesh and the spirit. And, and so they, they would say that's what it's at. It's about dying. It's about mortifying the flesh to the glory of God. And so we put the old man to death by offering him on the altar. And no doubt there is a calling to die in coming to Christ. I mean, in uh, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and do what? Take up his cross. And everybody hearing that knew. I mean, they'd watched the Romans crucify people. They knew what it meant. It meant you've got to come to die. And all of that's true, but still I don't think that's the main point here. It's not dying he's talking about, it's living. It's not a dead sacrifice, it's a living sacrifice. See, if you're only talking about dying here, then you're going to miss the beauty of the surrendered life. And you're going to miss the beauty of worship. It becomes a negative thing. I'm constantly at war with myself. You don't see that it's a positive thing that I'm living to the glory of God. You see, surrendering your life to the glory of God is worship. Paul described his own life this way. Philippians 2.17, he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That goes back to the old Hebrew idea of the libation. In 2 Timothy 4.6, he said, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He said, I'm not the offering. Jesus was the offering. My calling is to be the, the, the ointment that's poured on the all offering to make it more attractive. 
And so that's how he saw his life. And I think that's a beautiful way of seeing your life. But the point is, it's not just dying that he's talking about. It's living. Look, God doesn't want another dead sacrifice. God got sick of dead sacrifices. God wants living sacrifices, man. He wants your heart and your mind. He wants you to reflect his mercy. Don't be a dead sacrifice. Years ago, I was sitting in a, a church history class, which is pretty brutal when you're you know, in your early 20s, and you got some guy droning on about church history. He's talking about the monastics. And uh, one of the weird things the monastics started to do was they started to sit on poles. True story. There was a guy named Simon Stylites who went up on a 50-foot-tall pole, just a pole, and on a three-by-three, ten-square-foot, nine-square-foot platform, he lived for 37 years. That's all he did. I guess somebody hoisted food up and whatever. Simon Stila. He became so noteworthy in the Catholic and the Orthodox Church that they actually have holidays named after this guy. And as we were talking about that, you know, the various guys in the class were going, man, what a guy. What a committed guy. I was thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. How dumb is that? You have wasted your life. Think about all the opportunities for conversation. Sure, it's a sacrifice to go sit on a pole, but it's not a living sacrifice. It's a dead sacrifice. It's meaningless. It's wasted. Because of all the conversations you can have and all the things that God wants to do with your life are lost in that. He doesn't want you to waste your life. He wants you to surrender your life. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And He wants you to be unique. That's the second thing. Authentic worship is a distinct lifestyle. It's a surrendered life and it's a distinct lifestyle. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? Here it is. The problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. Dead sacrifices will stay where you put them. But a living sacrifice crawls off the altar. I see that in my own life. I say, God, I'm all yours. You've got all of me, God. I fully commit myself to you. I'm all yours. And then life starts to happen and one thing leads to another and the distractions come in. And and then I say to God, well, I'm mostly yours. And then I say, God, I'm some yours. And then I say, God, I'm none yours. Now look, the whole time I'm doing that in my heart, I'm still doing all the same spiritual stuff. But I, my, I'm no, my life is no longer on the altar. And that's my problem. I keep crawling off that altar. I had a guy email me last week and he was dealing with this question, why do so many people slip away from the church? He was talking about particularly in this day and age with COVID, you know, people are staying away. And, and I get that. And if you're staying away because of concern over COVID, please do that. I don't encourage anybody these days to come to church unless you feel comfortable doing it, Okay. I don't want to push anybody beyond that limit. And and there are a lot of people who have some issues and, and some concerns. By all means, please stay away. But there are a lot of people who maybe sometimes use that as an excuse because they, they're like, oh, I can't go to church. It might get me infected. But they're at the LSU game. I'm like, it's kind of crowded there. <laughs> it's maybe getting a little less crowded by the week, but... Uh, This guy said in his email that he had drifted from God during the COVID quarantine and it bothered him. 
And I, I just back up to Romans 7, 22. He says, I love, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at work, that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Verse 25, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave of sin. And what we realize is my mind is at war with my flesh. And this is why that second verse is so important. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, but look at verse 2. And, do you see that big fat and? And, this isn't a one-step thing. It's a two-step dance. I present my body a living sacrifice and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed. That word means to be pressed into a mold. It's like a Play-Doh factory toy. Don't let it press you into that mold. And man, what a brilliant image for our generation. Everybody wants to press you into his or her mold. And if you don't think like we think and act like we act and do what we do, then I cancel you. And far too often we're content to let that happen. Here's the strange conflict. We all want to stand out, but we also want to fit in. I want to be different, but I also want to be the same. Now listen, you can't stand out by fitting in. I heard a guy say, you catch what you're close to. You catch what you're close to. And if you're fitting in, then you're going to catch what the people close to you have. And you're going to start to look like they look. You're going to think like they think. And you're going to act like they think. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but, and here's the key, be transformed. Got that? That word is metamorphosis. It's what happens to the caterpillar when it turns into a butterfly or the tadpole when it becomes a frog. And he tells us how we're transformed. He says, by the renewing of your mind. To be transformed, you need a renewed mind. You see, all your life, your mind is getting filled with stuff. And some of the stuff is good, and some of the stuff is neutral, but some of the stuff is bad. And, and some of the stuff that our minds are getting filled with are the lies of this generation. And all the lies that have been told us. What are some of the lies that have been told us? Here they are. Well, you, you were told it's all about you. You were told that if God exists, He doesn't care about you. You were told that if it feels good, then you had the right to do it. You were told that you were worthless because of your failure. You were told that you have no value because of your limitations. You were told all kinds of lies. And here's the problem. Not only is your mind full of stuff that's not good for you, the mind is also no good at telling, at even telling you what is good for you. You become so full of lies that you can no longer discern truth from a lie. I have this tragic... Relationship with donuts. It, it's, it's a love-hate relationship. You see, I love donuts. I, I love them too much. And I, I once ate six Krispy Kreme donuts before I left the parking lot. And I could have eaten more, but I was just trying to save a few for the other four people in the car. You know? I mean, that's my relationship. But donuts hate me. If I eat one donut, I gain one pound. It's a direct correlation. If I eat 12, I get 12 pounds. That's how it works. And then I go into sugar coma, and I feel sick for the rest of the day. That's how I feel with donuts. And yet, like an eighth grade boy who's in love with a mean girl, I just keep following her around. You know, I just can't make myself just like, please love me back, donut. And, you know, and you know last week... It was uh, game day, college football game day. And so the kids are coming over. It's like, hey, 
let's get some donuts, you know? And so I go out and obviously I get a dozen donut holes along with the several dozen I buy for everybody uh, so I can eat the donut holes before I get home and that way nobody knows I ate them, <laughs> right? If you eat them and nobody sees it, you didn't really eat them. And I'm sitting here like some crazy man eating donuts all over the place and I look like an addict with like donut sugar crumbs all over my stomach watching Kirk Herb Street, you know, going, oh, I feel terrible, I hate myself, I hate life, I, I hate everything, you know. And here's what I realized, at no point did my mind tell me the truth. At no point, it was so full of lies that it couldn't even differentiate lie from truth. My mind was going, great idea, get some more. Make sure that everybody's got what they want and then get that bag of donut holes. That's what we do throughout our lives, only the consequences are way worse than donuts right? How do I renew my mind? See, my mind's full of lies. You have to replace lies with truth. That's the key. So you read it. You're around other people who believe it and who pour it into your life. And you come to places like this and you hear guys teach it. You memorize it. And what happens is the Word of God works. See, the Word of God is truth. And that truth begins to purify your mind. It's kind of like Clorox. It kind of begins to filter in. And it's not all at once, but slowly, almost imperceptibly, little by little, your mind is transformed. And when your mind is renewed, you become transformed. You say, what will that look like? Well, your priorities will change. Self is the priority of the non-believer. Self-fulfillment, self-gratification, self-aggrandizement, self-centeredness, it's all about self. But glorifying God is the priority of the believer. In 1647, the Scottish came out with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it was a series of 107 questions asked so that with answers, people could sort of solidify their faith. The first question was the most important, set it up. What is the chief end of man? And here's their answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What a statement. Now look, that doesn't let you off the hook in terms of righteous living because in glorifying God, I live a holy life. But I live a merciful life. I live a worship-filled life. I live a life that's in reaction to the grace that has been given to me, and by virtue of that, I glorify God. And then what's that second part the Baptists never understand? And enjoy Him forever. Because we feel like if we start enjoying God that something's gone wrong and we should feel bad. I've had people tell me, I don't really feel like I've been to church unless I walk out feeling bad about myself. Where did that come from? We glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And by doing that, I worship. And listen to this. When I worship, I influence. Read the the last part of 12 verse 2. I think we put verse 3 up there, but it's 12 2. That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you become living proof. Worship is a surrendered life. Worship is a distinct life. And so here's the question before us. And this is a question for believers. Is that characteristic of your life? And if it's not, what are you going to do about it? Is that enough? Why don't we make a commitment? I don't think any change ever happens unless you make a commitment. Here's a commitment I want to ask you to make. I want to ask you to make a commitment. God, I'm going to present my body to you as a living sacrifice. 
I'm going to be surrendered. And God, I'm going to try through the power of your Holy Spirit to manifest your glory in my life by living a distinct life. So every day when I forget that, remind me of it. And in every moment where that doesn't occur, convict me of it until my life begins to reflect the nature of Jesus because my mind is filled with your truth and those truths have now replaced the lie. Would you make that commitment with me? Let's just pray before the Father. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we just kind of come before the Father. Here's the commitment. Don't make it unless you really mean it. Father, I surrender myself to you. Would you just say that? Father, I surrender myself to you. Be glorified in me. Father, I want to live a distinct life. Renew my mind and transform me. And I purpose that I will do these things. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful instruction in Romans 12 that you've given us to live everything we need to model the mercy of Jesus because we've been worshipful before we've tried to be merciful. And that we would worship you by surrender and living a holy life, distinct, so that other people would want the Jesus that they see in us. Thank you, Father, for transformation. I thank you for the power of transformation that's occurring in this place right now. I thank you for the presence of your Spirit in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.